So people do have a lot of responses to Jesus. Like if you uh, read in the Bible, you'll see that in the Gospels particularly because uh, he is walking on earth. And so with that comes the reality that uh, you're going to uh, have him encounter people. And you remember the Gospel writers, they have been teaching for, you know, probably uh, most people would argue for 30 years or so. And they begin to write down or pen their, uh, this gospel account. And so they'd had a lot of time to think about it and to consider what, what, what do I, we need to bring into that. And you say, well, yeah, but aren't they guided by the Spirit? Yes, as they consider it, guided by the Spirit. And we talk about when we're looking at a gospel individually, painting a portrait that would allow people to understand who Jesus was and what he did, so that they might respond properly to him. And as we've talked about, like they can, there can be positive and, and negative examples, as there are in all of your life. Positive and negative examples, and we learn from them. And so, he doesn't hide from us, like, uh, for instance, maybe uh, you kind of grew up in an affluent family, and you knew what it was like to hide all the troubles in your family. Or maybe just a private family, so you hide all those troubles because you're supposed to do that. The Gospels don't do that. The Gospels show the fear, the terror, the, all those things, you know? And so I hope it's helpful for you today as you look at this. So I think that the three groups that we're going to see today are, if you think of it this way, one group was looking at it and they were saying, he's a revolutionary. Another group the disciples, say, oh, he's a ghost. A third group see him as just a miracle worker. Those three things. And you might say, hmm, I mean, I could, you know, agree with two out of the three or what. You might agree with different things, but what we're trying to do is say, okay, how should we see him? How should we see him? And uh, we're going to kind of look at that together. So let's look first at I think the, the quickest response might be, or the first response might be, uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, he is a revolutionary. And I will help you understand why I would say that. And so we're going to move through this and look at it uh, for a moment. Remember, John the Baptist's head has just ended up on a platter. And um, we're going, and Jesus is, is kind of moving along with his disciples, if you're thinking about the storyline. And they're in the rolling kind of hills of Galilee, and it's, it's one of those things when you're looking at it, it's a desolate place. It's not like what was going on uh, with Herod and, and their situation. This is a desolate place. This is a, a wilderness, but it's not wilderness like East Texas wilderness. It, it's, 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 a, it's different than that. Normal. So we understand he's in a kind of a place that it would be sparsely populated under normal circumstances. So he's left the crowd. Again, he's not always trying to build his platform. You know, he's left the crowd, and he is going to this place to be with his disciples alone. This miracle that we're looking at is, is, um, is mentioned in all four Gospels, which is kind of a helpful thing to know. It's repeated over and over and over throughout the Gospels. And what you see is Jesus is radically different than that of Herod who feared men and wanted to preserve his place. Jesus is kind of leaving the place of the crowds and going away from them. He's the true and benevolent king who is not trying to build a name in the way 
that we see people doing that in many situations. And so, uh, one last thing to say, when we're thinking about this mentioned over and over and over again, uh, ending up to, to the Last Supper, and all of those kind of help you think about what Jesus is coming to do. And, and so, again, like we'll be laying that out. So, verse 31 and 32, he calls them away, and, and he's calling his disciples away that they might rest a little bit, you know, and spend a little bit of time uh, resting. And so, he is with them physically, but also he is going to say, he's, he's guiding them, he's thinking about them, he's shepherding them. And we would say even that we need times away with Christ by his spirit to renew. And so you see them moving in that direction. Um, it, it's, uh, it's helpful for us to see this because I think sometimes for me, the busier I get, the more busy I think I need to be. And uh, that's not the kind of the pattern that you're seeing here. And so as you kind of continue forward and you think about that, you know, abiding in him and seeking him, I think there is a model here, an example here uh, for us. So, but when we go as you're, as you're, again, as you're looking at this and moving into this kind of desert place and he's going out kind of alone, you could say, it, it does remind you, and it's a wilderness, it reminds you of like the wilderness wanderings kind of. And you're going to see that because we're going to see kind of glimpses of Moses and the people of Israel and all of that. So look at verse 33. Now many uh, saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot um, from all the towns and got there ahead. So uh, the idea is they're going to go across the lake. The crowd's going around. You think, who's going to win? You would think that these people would not win, but the one in the boat who's shooting straight across, but what you might say is a crow flies. But in reality, they're racing there, which for some people, if you're thinking about what's going on in that time period, it may remind you of, of something about like they're excited, and, 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 and there's certainly that, but there's more to it. But let's look at verse 34. He goes ashore, and there's this great crowd, and you could say, oh, he'll just dismiss them. But that's not how we see Jesus. We see him over and over showing compassion towards them. He, he looks at them and says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to teach them. And uh, that's another interesting kind of concept. The, the idea of shepherding in the um, Old Testament, the king was like a shepherd. He's guiding, he's providing, he's protecting. If you were to look at Psalm 23, you see all of those things on display. And so he is teaching them. And we said that earlier, that's at the heart of what he's doing. He is teaching about the kingdom and what he's doing and accomplishing and so that's on display. He's teaching, he's guiding, he's giving them understanding, he's leading them into spiritual insight. Um, but again, it's kind of like what the king was in the times of the Old Testament. It, it has, um, by the way, just as a side note, kind of thinking about that, uh, we should model, churches should model Jesus' ministry. And one of the things at the heart of that is, is us teaching people about who he is and what he did. And what he accomplished, that should be at the heart of it. And we should always be thinking in terms of like, how are we communicating that? Even his miraculous signs and all those things that he did, it was, it, there was an element to where John calls them throughout, they're signs, they're signs of the kingdom having come. And Jesus is explaining that as he moves about. So in verse 35 and 36, they're in this desolate place, and he's been teaching a long time. And it would be like you. If I go very long today, you're getting hungry. 
or hangry, as like some people would say in a funny way, and you're like, oh, that was the dad joke. But it would be like that. You know, and so you're sitting there, and, and you're thinking like, so the disciples in their minds, they're like, the people, how are they going to, they can't survive off of, uh, they, they need like something to provi- provide for them. Sure, we need, they need spiritual food, but they need physical food. And so they are there in this moment. And you understand the disciples kind of, they're wanting to get this situation fixed. So Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. And you're immediately like, what, what are they talking about? What are we talking about here? He's already told them not to carry money. Like, they're not probably carrying much. It's not every time, but in one particular instance, which is very close in this text, they're not carrying anything. And so they said, this is going to take 200 denarii. What is that? It's like for the average worker who works six days a week, it would be like eight months of, of resources for them. And so when you're looking at that and you're thinking about it, it's it, you're, you're sometimes I think even with the Lord as the disciples are sitting there, their logic gets in the way. You ever had a kid like that? That their logic gets in the way? Looking at, and you're like, oh. ever been around somebody like that? They always, they're looking, everything they see, they're basing it off all of the information that they have. So guess what happens? They can't see anything beyond what they can see. Their logic would get in the way. So with a child, it might be like, you know this big story that you've been planning, all logic could kind of get in the way. I think it's important for us to understand that with Jesus. That's something that disciples um, are faced with. And another thing to say is, you realize like, 90% of their income was used for their daily bread in that culture. I mean, that that is shocking because we we don't think in terms of that. And so they're kind of swept away by the magnitude of the problem, which is very similar to Moses trying to feed the children of Israel in the wilderness. There's something about that you're like, we're we're going down that road here. They're in the wilderness. But... Like, how are they going to eat? And so the disciples, again, like what Moses would be under, could be really, like this is a heavy burden. Verse 38 through 40, Jesus says, go figure out how many loaves that we have. And all of you know this story, if you're thinking about it. Uh, There were five loaves and two fish. That's not enough. That that was good for, for one person to eat. And so... This is the situation that they find themselves in. But look at this in verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Does that remind you of something? I always want you to think about, like, in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? It also would remind you of what happened with um, the, in, with the children of, of Israel, when Moses arranged them in groups, he would break them down into different groups. And then, of course, we see here he's going to provide for them. God would use that ultimately as a, he, he's going to ultimately provide them. And so people are divided and then they are provided for. And so all of that is going on in this text. And I think it's important to see that Jesus is going to use this moment to teach something very powerful. Now, Look at verses 42 through 44. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the the loaves were 5,000 men. So everybody's full. We love to cook. He reaches down, brother does, and there's always fish there. 
Even if he hasn't been fishing, I'm like, I don't really, it almost feels a little strange. He can just keep reaching into the freezer. But anyway, we'll have uh, food, and, and always there's a little bit left over, it seems like, you know. Well, the idea here is, like, this is 5,000. That's for, like, 20 people. This is 5,000. They started with two fish and five loaves, and now you see what is left over. There's 12 baskets left over. And, and so I think it's just, we need to stop and consider that. Now, some people say, this is 5,000 men, but in one of the texts in Matthew 14, 21 says, besides women and children. So they would say something like, there's fifteen to 20,000 people here. Like, that's a shocking number. Like, that that, that, that many people could be fed is, 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 is shocking. Now, you might say, well, is this text, so I understand it's a miracle of Jesus. We all know that he does miracles, and this is a beautiful thing that he feeds all these people. And if you stop from, like, when you're a kid hearing that story the very first time and just leave it there and don't consider a few things, you might not see something greater than that. Now, I want you to understand this. In this region where he is, in rural Galilee, there was a stronghold of the zealot movement. Now, you say, well, what's that all about? There were these people that wanted to overthrow Rome. They had had people rise up to destroy Rome. They were looking for that to happen. They were the kind of the country people gathering together, hoping for the day that they could destroy Rome and overthrow them. They've already acted out in that way. Israel was known for like looking for ways to do it. They were looking for a Messiah. And the zealots were somebody like a Moses that would overthrow Egypt and decimate Egypt, and they would walk out. And there would be, in this case, the exodus would be with, uh, with, with those people that oppressed them. They would be sending them out. But here, and I think it's important to say this, this account of feeding these disciples and those, all the people there, this account gives clues into what is taking place. The actual, in John 6.15, it says that when they came out, they intended to make him a king by force. And so I think there is this picture. If you're looking at all of this and you're thinking about what's going on, there is something going on here where he's saying there's something greater going on. There is something far greater than just feeding these people. There is this new imagery going on in their minds, and they're thinking about it. There is a king that's come, is what they're thinking. But it's not the kind of king they want. I mean, that's kind of, sometimes you meet people in the Christian church, and they would love to make Jesus a military leader that's going to, like, wipe out all the wicked people in the world. That's what they would say. And in our country, like, they want all of that. They want a Jesus like that. And the reality is he's not the Jesus that they were looking for, but he does embody more of what Moses was, where he is feeding the people, he is providing for them, he is rescuing them. But the rescue is far greater than what they had imagined. The good shepherd has come. He is rescuing. He is providing. He will deliver. And they needed to see that. They needed to see the fullness of that. And they had yet to see it. So there, he was a revolutionary but not the revolutionary they were looking for. And Jesus may be that. He, he's doing far more than what they could have ever imagined.
Second story here is the story of the disciples are like immediately put into the boat. Probably because this group, as in John chapter 6, who's wanting to make him king, the disciples under the circumstances at this moment could easily fall prey to that and be like, yeah, that's what we all want. We're fighting. We're ready to get after it. Like we joined this movement because we want it to be addressed and all these people to be punished and, and all of those things. But Jesus knows this, and so I think he immediately sends them away, and then he dismisses the crowd. And then he stops to pray. And that's what you see often. He'll go and pray alone and consider under certain circumstances and difficulties. He is through, throughout regularly praying and calling out to the Lord. He, he's rem, I mean, I think there is this reflection on who he is and what he has come to do. He says that in some of his prayers that we even read. In verse 47 and 48, we move from this to this picture of a ghost. And what you see is Jesus has been praying. The disciples have sent, been sent across the sea, and they could not make their way. And this makes me, uh, reminds me of uh, Thomas Herberg. Thomas, I don't know if he's here. He's, he's around here. Somewhere. But anyway, he goes out in his fishing kayak on Wright-Patman Lake in the wind, trying to make it to a certain place, and it just keeps pushing him back. And he fought it for like an hour, you know. But these are men trying. This is a whole boat of men where they cannot move forward. But then the most shocking thing takes place. They see a ghost or what appears to be a ghost, you know. And I think some people think of Jesus that way. They'll think of him as like this, like it's almost like um, we almost don't have any knowledge of him, you know, in a strange way. Like they're saying like, well, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You're like, like a ghost? You know, and you're like, hold on just a second, guys. Like, is that, is that, you know, and I'll have a lot of people, especially around certain circumstances in life, difficult things in life. Well, you know, today the light switched on and I knew. You know, I mean, some stuff where you're like, I don't know, I don't know about that. You know, get, let's get back, like, what does the Bible reveal? What does it explain to us? What is he teaching us? He's very compassionate and a loving Lord that has come to feed us and provide for us and protect us and deliver us. And, and even in our most terrifying moments, He, he's, he is working in, 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 in spite of us. He's not a ghost. He is real. He's not just a spirit. He was living flesh before them. And it reminds you that like when you're looking at all of that, 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 that if you think back in the Old Testament in Job, Job will speak of God in the Old Testament like he'll say, he is, it's, it's almost like God walks on water. That's kind of the way that it would be presented, like God walking on water in Job 9, 8, and verse 38, uh, or chapter 38, verse 16. And it's almost like God is walking among us. But here in this particular place, rather than being separated from them, and you kind of almost see a glimpse of God, here God is coming to them. It is The idea here is not that he's a ghost, but he is revealing himself it's his self-revelation he has come to reveal himself that they might understand who he was and to see him for who he was and so verse 51 and 52 and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened this is a, kind of a shocking thing that they're seeing all this stuff take place but they can't 
take it in. You're like, why can't they see it and understand it? And of course, they're, they're getting revelation like poured out before them, but they keep missing it. You know, the only other time this is kind of mentioned is earlier, the outsiders had a hardness of heart, but now here's the insiders. And you're thinking, why can't they see him? They, 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 they can't understand like he is revealing himself to them. He's a great revealer of all the things. To see him was to see God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And for them to understand that would be so helpful. But this is what we learn about discipleship. And all of you, many of you are saying that. Because discipleship is more, listen to this, endangered by lack of faith and hardness of heart than by external dangers. A lot of people think that what's going to happen to them is somebody's going to come take Christianity away from them. The biggest issue you and I have is Christianity leaving our own hearts. As we kind of find ourselves drifting with all the activities that are around us. And so I think it's important to understand in the storms and all of the difficulties here, you lose self-sufficiency, you trust in Him, and you hope in Him as the one who has revealed Himself. He's very personal. He is very close to them. And so Jesus has come, yes, as a revolutionary, but not to bring about a revolution like they're thinking. He has come to set them free, but not in the way that they're thinking. And He's not just this ghost that kind of like plays tricks on them. He is revealing in the fullness of, of, of the revelation that we've... It's more full than it's ever been explained... He is the great revealer of who God is. Actually, so great that the least in the kingdom of heaven, the Scripture says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist because we have received and beheld Him. Now, the third kind of response to who Jesus is is thinking of Him as a miracle worker. Look at verse 30, I mean 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore, which would be like anchoring, and they land, and when they do that, in verse 54 through 56, they're immediately um, recognized, and they start bringing people to Jesus. And it's not really about Him teaching them. It's about Him healing them. I, I do. You, you ever wonder, like, sometimes we, we want Jesus, and, and, it, and it's over and over and over again, if somebody gets sick, we want Jesus. If you're afraid, you want Jesus. If you've lost someone, you want Jesus. And you might just want Jesus for what he can do for you. You know, you want him to do miracles for you. That's, some of you might think of you want Jesus just to, like, get you in heaven. You don't really want him. You don't really want him. If Jesus wasn't there... You would be okay as long as you get to go to heaven. Jesus not needed. Just get me in heaven. If you can get me in there another way. Because I want a good and happy and easy life. So you look at this thing and you say, some people are saying, oh, I need a revolutionary. we got to get rid of all these people holding us down. We want Jesus to deliver us. We want Jesus to deliver us from all the wicked things going on in our culture we want jesus to deliver us from some army that might assail us we want to make sure he protects us from 
China or whatever it might be or the internal struggles within our nations. We want Jesus in that way, a revolutionary that looks like what we want him to be. We might want Jesus in, in a ghostly like way where we are like, oh man, did you feel that? I got chills from that. We want Jesus kind of in that way where like he's the mysterious one that we flesh and blood. He's not like that. He has revealed himself. Flesh and blood in front of us. And some may want Jesus is like, what can he do for me? What can he do for my family? My, you know, you might even sit down with your kids and say, what do you want? Well, they want this. But that's not who he is. He's far greater than any of those things. Far more amazing. Far more wonderful. Far more life transforming. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who became man and He came to rescue us in the greatest possible ways. We do not want a Jesus made in our own image. Did you hear that? You don't, you don't want a Jesus made in your image. You don't want a Jesus that looks like you. You, you don't want a Jesus that you have like strings attached to, like the Godfather, that you move around. A puppet on the string of your life, for your life. That is a Jesus, like that's made in your image, like you kind of try to move every other thing in life. That kind of Jesus will never save. It might comfort you, but he cannot save you. It might make you feel good, but he cannot save you. We need to rest in the true living Christ who came to rescue us from the greatest enemies of all. From sin, death, hell, the grave. We need that Jesus. He's very personal. He's very personal. He, he draws near to us. And He is about restoring and making all things new. We do need a new exodus. We need, we need someone to provide for us in the wilderness. We need to, from us, someone to protect us from the storm. But we need us to, Him to do that in an ultimate sense. So the Gospel of Mark Jesus is the Jesus you need. If you've not put your faith and trust in Him, it is a frightening place to be. But if you have, you have more than any of the things that people look for. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask You for wisdom. Move us. Transform us. Renew us. Help us see Jesus for who He is and respond appropriately. In Christ's name, amen.